Welcome to this recording of the Activist Lawyer podcast brought to you from the Granite Podcast Studio in the heart of Newry City. We are delighted that you could join us at Activist Lawyer where we will be discussing a range of topical matters engaging not only with lawyers but people who are committed to highlighting and combating injustices and inequalities. We will bring you our thoughts but invite you to share yours. We'll be looking for contributors to our blog at activistlawyer.com as we want your perspective as we unravel and unpack a host of issues. My name is Sarah Henry and I'm a solicitor practicing in Uri City. I worked with a human rights firm in Dublin for many years and with a number of rights-based organisations and charities. I'm looking forward to meeting some fantastic guests throughout this series. Today we're discussing um, abortion and just by way of introduction, I mean abortion in Ireland and the island of Ireland has always been a contentious matter. Law students will be familiar with its journey, one which has brought to the fore rather raw, um, emotional and deeply personal issues affecting women. I remember first learning about abortion in secondary school, albeit a very biased narrative, before moving on to study the various cases as a student in NUI Galway. The Miss P case in particular stands out for me. Then moving on to learn about lived travesties and tragedies that happened as a result of the Eighth Amendment in the Republic of Ireland, like the Savita Halapanavar case, who of course died from septicemia at University Hospital Galway. Her family believed she would still be alive if a termination on medical grounds had have been allowed. Religion played a prominent role in that case. It was 2012. I later went on to work on the Repeal the Eighth campaign and attended the Count in Ballsbridge in May 2018. It really felt like being part of history. But coming home to Newry on the train that day, I recalled the placards and chants um, after the win. What about the North? And don't forget about the North. Well, today I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Eileen Fagan. Um, hi, Eileen. Thanks for coming hi, in Sarah. today. Thank we you are for inviting me. Not at all. We are here on a lovely sunny Friday in the Granite Podcast Studio here in Granite Exchange Building. Just a little introduction um, for our listeners. Eileen Fagan has lectured in law for 15 years in leading institutions such as Oxford University and Queen's University Belfast. She has also trained women's and non-governmental organisations, medical and legal professionals worldwide. Eileen has a wealth of experience in conducting research and writing in the fields of law, politics, education and women's empowerment. She is also only one of two BBC Academy trained experts in the field of law. She's contributed her expertise to BBC television and radio programmes on current affairs and ethics across the UK since 2006. She was one of 25 out of 2,200 applicants chosen to participate in the BBC's Expert Women's Day in 2013. Legal analyst, BBC expert commentator, medical law and ethics, human rights, equality and education expert. We are delighted to have you here today. Thank you very much. (laughs) So um, I touched very briefly and very basically there just on my experience in mm-hmm. you know becoming familiar with the developments around abortion primarily in the Republic of Ireland and um, having lived there and worked there for many years moved recently enough back home to the north and I think you'd probably agree you kind of it's hard to talk about the two jurisdictions in isolation when it comes to abortion and I, I'd say one watches the other in terms mm-hmm. of its development and the 2018 repeal the eighth win for the the yes campaign probably had you know quite a strong impact in the north so maybe just for our listeners as well Eileen and your commentary you might bring us through a little bit of the kind of historical the background in terms of the law on abortion in Northern Ireland. Well, up until the 31st of March 2020 this year, 
Northern Ireland, like the Republic, had some of the most restrictive abortion laws in the world. Now, Sarah, you talked about your personal experience of when you first got interested in the topic. Mm -hmm. I was 22 years of age, just turned 22, and I was at Queen's University studying law. And I was studying uh, women's rights. And a professor said to me, what do you think of the case in the south of Ireland where the 14-year-old rape victim was prevented from leaving the jurisdiction? Mm -hmm. And I'd been raised in a Catholic school environment and I went, I'm not interested in that topic. Mm -hmm. I don't want to deal with that, Mm -hmm. is what I said. Yeah. And he said to me, you're studying women's rights in Ireland and you don't want to know about this case. Mm-hmm. And he challenged me. His name was Professor Simon Lee. Mm-hmm. And he challenged me because I didn't want to deal with it. Yes. I had 22 years of an upbringing in my family, in my church, in my schools, and I did not want to go near the topic. I was about to graduate in law and it was this is going to taint me yes. to talk about it. But the challenge was, the gauntlet was laid down and he was, a, he was the lecturer in philosophy of law. So I had to look at this issue and I was shocked. Mm-hmm. I was shocked that the state had the power mm-hmm. to prevent someone leaving the country at that stage to have a termination when they were the child victim of rape. Yeah, And I think that's when the country was shocked as well because I think most people... If it doesn't affect them and it's not in their face and it's not their daughter, it's not their sister, it's not their girlfriend, their wife, they don't want to know. So where I'm coming from, I just wanted to share that with you. Mm -hmm. That's what got me involved was like it wouldn't go away. The topic wouldn't go away. And the reason the topic wouldn't go away is because the topic itself is two topics. Mm -hmm. It's the topic about specific issue of abortion and accessing abortion legally or Mm -hmm. illegally and the consequences. But there's a bigger topic and that is the position of women in that society. Mm -hmm. And I continued to to work on it because of the two aims. But even if you're not interested and you don't care, Mm -hmm. the topic is a measure, it's a litmus test of the power of the state Now, most people don't want the state to have that much power over them when it comes to other things, Mm -hmm. like the treatment of their child in a medical situation. Mm -hmm. Most people, there's a lot of people who don't want the state to have power over them in wearing a mask. Yeah. So <laughs> during a pandemic. So so really I wanted You're to put so that right. in there. Yes, I wanted thank to put, you. I yeah. wanted to put in there the topic of abortion is a smaller topic within a bigger topic, and that topic is the power of the state over your intimate health and life choices. So going back, both jurisdictions, North and South, had almost a complete ban on abortion. Mm -hmm. The UK, the GB, that is England, Scotland and Wales, in 1967 got the Abortion Act, which laid out four circumstances in which there was an exception to that ban. Northern Ireland never got it. The Republic never had it. Mm -hmm. So what Northern Ireland did have from 1861 until this year were a selection of cases which had been taken to court. Some of them were criminal cases against the defendant doctor. One in 1939 who'd performed an abortion on a 14-year-old, much like the 14-year-old in the X case in the Republic Mm -hmm. of Ireland when I was 22. Yeah. 
and he, he basically was inviting prosecution and the the jury did not convict him because he was trying to save, save the life of that girl and prevent her from being a physical and mental wreck, they said. It was an exception to the complete ban. Mm-hmm. So Northern Ireland, from, 18, from 1939, had this law. There was an exception if a person could be a physical and mental wreck for having right. to continue yeah. the pregnancy. Back in 2001, the Family Planning Association in Northern Ireland took a judicial review case saying there's not much clarity in what constitutes a physical and mental wreck. Can you give us some clarity? Because mm-hmm. the big issue in Northern Ireland was, even though there was an exception at common law, which means judge-made law in a case, doctors weren't clear about what that meant. Women weren't clear about what that meant. Practitioners, nurses. Mm-hmm. So in, in the 2000s, this is just a brief history, in the 2000s, there were several cases in Northern Ireland with the Family Planning Association where the judges said the pregnancy could be legally terminated if there was a risk of serious, adverse, long-term or permanent risk to the woman's health, or m- meaning physical or mental, mental yeah. and obviously the woman's life. Mm-hmm. But the problem was, again, because the 1861 Act had life imprisonment as its sanction... Doctors were afraid to even follow that. So the problem was, the problem in Northern Ireland was we had exceptions. Mm -hmm. Until 2003, we weren't actually sure what they meant. There was no clarity. There still was no clarity because the the Family Planning Association asked the Department of Health to issue guidance. But every time it did issue guidance in the 2000s, it was knocked down. It was knocked down by the Assembly, which was operating for a while who used the exceptions to, you know, to their advantage in that, like, it wasn't a total ban. These are the exceptions. Yes. But as you dig into it there, I yeah. mean, in reality, the it, the, the, the guidance was issued several times and withdrawn. Mm-hmm. Now, the really interesting thing, uh, I was an academic publishing on this, is the 2013 guidance wrote in things to the law that were not there before, requiring two medical practitioners to verify that the woman would, would suffer long-term, serious physical and mental health consequences. Those, that wasn't in the original case or the law. So basically, depart, the departmental guidance was adding bits in. So just to clarify, where we were before the recent reform, which I'll talk about in a minute, we had this common law terminology of serious, long-term, adverse consequences on a woman's physical or mental health but we had very few doctors willing to interpret that number one because the 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 legislation did say if you get it wrong you can go to prison for life absolute fear and the second reason was the departmental guidance issued was very threatening in terms of its language so basically the family plan and strategy the family plan and association strategy of clarifying the law backfired Fantastically, mm-hmm. by by getting more, more drawing more attention to the the wooliness of the mm-hmm. exception, and making doctors more frightened. So, um, what to bring us up to date mm-hmm. for the, one of the big cases behind the reform, the recent reform, was that of Sarah Ewart. Yes, in twenty thirteen, Sarah Ewart experienced it about twenty weeks scan. 
a diagnosis of anencephaly, which is incompatibility with life. Hers was a very much wanted pregnancy. Unlike myself, until somebody asked me to think about it, she'd never thought about this. She'd never, you know, never looked into abortion. It doesn't apply to me is Mm -hmm. kind of a generic phrase until it does. Of course, yeah. And she was shocked in 2013 to discover that in her own country, she's from Belfast, and in her own country, having a diagnosis of fatal fetal abnormality at 20 weeks, that she was expected to carry on until 40 weeks and deliver her would have been a stillborn child without all of its Mm -hmm. development complete. She didn't know that. She didn't know that 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 was the law until it happened to her. So she had to travel to Britain to... She Her decision was that she could not wait another 20 weeks knowing that this was not going to end well for herself or for the child. So she travelled to Britain and she came back and she spoke publicly about it and that drew a lot of attention to it. Yeah. And that was around the same time as Savita Halapanafar died in the Republic of Ireland. Both I remember both cases the, were... The overlap yeah. is that Savita's doctors were also too frightened to intervene in time to save her life. Mm-hmm. Savita's um, was 17, was it 17 yes. weeks? Pregnant in Galway Hospital and because her fetus still had a heartbeat, the doctors were, were working on the same absolute ban there was a few exceptions for the risk to the mother's life. But because there was still but a they heartbeat were, Because there was still a heartbeat, yeah. even though that the septicemia was ravaging her, mm-hmm. they delayed treating her because of fear of this mm-hmm. legislation, which could put them in prison for life. And had they acted sooner, she would have been alive today. There yeah. is no question of that. Yeah. And so, in a sense, you know... There were there, that was one blatant of example of a woman's life was lost. Mm-hmm. And then another woman with a fatal, fatal abnormality was expected to carry that pregnancy another 20 weeks to deliver. And the grief of that and the difficulty of yeah. that. And she went to Britain and came back and, and made herself available she to did. activists to talk to and to bring. Yeah. And that's one of the one of the highlights behind mm-hmm. the reforms. The but momentum I'll here. And I remember her mother as well and her family members really supporting her and speaking yes. out. And of course, Amnesty and various organisations got involved. Mm-hmm. So from a campaigning perspective and to draw attention mm-hmm. to the fact that you say most people, you know, don't think about it, whether they want to or not, yep. or if it doesn't affect, it doesn't affect them. them. But Sarah, you was so brave, really, to bring yes. her own personal tragedy mm-hmm. there and the stress and the sheer trauma of what she had gone through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like you said, the shock and realisation that this is her, her country and you know she can't get the medical care that she actually needed. Do you know what is quite ironic and I need to point this out before the scary guidance of 2013 mm-hmm. doctors were performing terminations for the exact case that Sarah had under the old law, oh. under the law because ah. it, it the, you know to continue the pregnancy would have made her a physical mental wreck. Well she's, she she did satisfy that Criteria. Criteria. Absolutely. And she satisfied the criteria of long-term permanent damage to her mental health. Yeah. But because of the guidance, which we'd fought so hard for, they were too frightened to do it. so So, interesting. So so the strategy backfired. 
spectacularly, in my yeah. opinion, because it drew attention to these issues and made doctors more frightened. So Sarah then, a little bit later, moving on, began her high court challenge, then that's, Eileen, that's in 2019. There's a bit in between. Um, yeah. there's, there's, the, there's, there's, there's the part in between. The Northern Ireland Assembly had the power from 2010 to change this law because it was given justice powers. Right. Justice powers, the making of laws, these kind of laws were not, uh, they used to be reserved to Westminster, but in 2010, they became within the remit of the Northern Ireland Assembly. I see. So in 2016, there was a debate in the Assembly in which these kind of exceptional cases, fatal, fatal abnormality and sexual crime rape incest were put before the Assembly on the 10th of February. They voted against any change. change. Wow. So when people come, as I will be talking now about the Westminster change, mm-hmm. when people say, this was not the role of Westminster, this was the role of the Northern Ireland Assembly, the Northern Ireland Assembly had the opportunity. Yeah. And in more limited circumstances than now we have, and they turned it down by Ten a vote. years ago. Well, 2016, four years mm-hmm. ago. Four years ago, um, w- um, before the suspension of the Assembly for three years, of course, they mm. voted down more limited reforms than we got this year. And, and I just need to point that out. You know, had, yeah. had the Northern Ireland Assembly gone for more limited reforms, what happened in the subsequent years with Westminster mm. intervening and CEDAW intervening would not have happened. happened. And just staying to sticking with Northern Ireland, two years later, so 2018, yes. we saw some change and some movement, both within the Assembly, but also um, following on from the UK Supreme Court decision, which kind yes. of led on to Sarah Ewart's yes. case later on. Yes, so, um, I'll talk about that. Yeah. Okay, so that's the human rights angle. There's several angles here. and This mm-hmm. is a human rights angle. Under the European Convention of Human Rights, which is not for your listeners, anything to do with the European Union, just let me make that clear. The European Convention on Human Rights, which was drafted and passed after the Second World War, there is an Article 8, the right to private and family life. And there have been series of decisions by that court that, not to say that there was a direct right to abortion, but there was a right for the state not to interfere with your decisions on private and family life and reproductive issues such as whether to become a parent or not to become a parent were interpreted as falling with under, under that. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the, it was the Northern Ireland Human Rights Commission that took this case in 2015 originally, saying that they believed the unclear and restrictive Northern Irish abortion law, which had no exceptions for fatal fetal abnormalities or sexual crime, breached Article 8. And the High Court in Belfast in 2015 said that's right and they agreed with them however there was the attorney general um who was very vocal in his anti-choice views he appealed that case and it was lost then at the 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 higher court so the the northern ireland human rights commission went to the supreme court and the supreme court said there is no specific victim here Mm -hmm. And had there been a specific victim, they would have said that it breached Article 8 rights. 
So that's where Sarah Ewart comes in. Sarah Ewart put herself forward as the victim. And that's uh, that terminology uh, for for legal people, there has to be a rights bearer whose yes. rights have been breached. So she had the standing. She in had this standing. Case. It's called yeah. locus standing. She had the standing and she put herself forward. Now, by the time her case was heard on the 3rd of October last year, there was another process already on its way through, which meant her case was slightly less, um, slightly less, what's the word, outstanding than uh-huh. it would have been. And I'll explain that in a minute. But Sarah Ewart, in that case, um, there was it, it was said that the, the, the lack of provision for her case, as in a fatal fetal abnormality, the lack of provision under the Northern Irish abortion law meant that it would breach Article 8. Mm-hmm. Now, had other things not been happening at that time, Sarah, that w- or for that would have been a big Roe v. Wade stand case. Out. Yes, it would have been. Yes, it would have been a standout case. Yes. It would have been a massive case. However, three weeks after the case was, the judgment was issued, we were to get a new law anyway. So I'll revert to that right. if you want to. Yes, please. You want to ask me about that? Okay. Yeah. In 2018, after a very long process where uh, activists from Northern Ireland, women's rights activists from various organisations had gone to the committee which oversees the Convention on the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women. That's a UN convention. The CEDAW. CEDAW, also known as CEDAW. Mm -hmm. CEDAW had a procedure where activists and people from any states that were breaching its rights, which are enumerated women's rights, could approach the committee with evidence. And the committee, this they had done this starting back in 2010. And the committee came to Northern Ireland and interviewed people about the provision of abortion or the lack of provision of abortion or the impact of it. And in 2018, CEDAW published a report, a very significant report, saying that the UK government were responsible for grave and systematic breaches of women's human rights in their lack of provision for abortion in cases of rape, incest and fetal abnormalities. That was really laid down. Mm-hmm. Now, CEDAW came out with some other recommendations. It recommended in 2018 that the UK remove the abortion ban in those cases and that it takes away criminalisation of women who were accessing abortions illegally. Okay. So women were accessing abortions through receiving pills on the internet from mm-hmm. established organisations that had been set up to do this. Yes. Such as Women on Web. Mm-hmm. There used to be, um, it was originally Women on Waves um, run by a Dutch doctor called Rebecca Gromports where they ha- actually had ships in the mm-hmm. off-territorial waters conducting abortions. But then they started to provide pills online. Mm-hmm. So CEDAW recommended end to prosecutions for people having ab- abortions. Uh-huh. In these circumstances, getting suspending all ongoing prosecutions, removal of the abortion ban from the 1861 Offences Against the Persian Act, uh, 
They also recommended other things. And two of those other things are really significant, Sarah. One of them is the establishment of bubble zones around abortion facilities, preventing protesters Mm -hmm. harassing women using them Mm -hmm. and also preventing them from harassing the staff, the clinic staff. And the other thing they recommended, this is just my shortened version, was a reform of the sex education system in schools. Vital. (laughs) So that the children would understand from an early age that understand this issue from a scientific point of view and that they would get accurate scientific education about contraception and reproductive issues like this. So those two things have not so far appeared in Northern Irish legislation, but that's we'll just put that to the side for the moment because it is there. But what happened next was it was not then the responsibility of Northern Ireland to do anything about it because Northern Ireland has not signed up to CEDAW. The UK, UK has. has. So it went to the Commons then. Isn't that right? It was, uh, it was, it was on the UK government to mm-hmm. make these changes. It was not upon Northern Ireland. Northern mm-hmm. Ireland does not sign human rights treaties for itself. Yeah. It doesn't have the power to do so. Mm-hmm. So without, I mean, so, so even with that, it took a lot of activism, activists, it took a lot of activist lawyers and medics to get that report, get CEDAW to look at this issue and to issue that report. Then it took some activist politicians yes. to get it on the agenda at the House of Commons. And the person was Stella Creasy MP. I remember. Stand and out. She, yeah. she, she added on, she proposed an amendment to the Northern Ireland Executive Formation Bill in 2019, whereby Section 9 of that bill were was putting a legal obligation on the government to fulfil CEDAW's recommendations. And, of course, in the House of Commons, which has 650 MPs from diverse backgrounds, it passed. On the 9th of July, 2019, now, there was uproar among a lot of politicians in Northern Ireland who described themselves as pro-life. Because they said Westminster, this is quite ironic, this is the most ironic part of it, (laughs) a lot of them were unionists. A lot of unionist politicians decried the involvement of the Westminster Parliament in Northern Ireland affairs, which is quite shocking. It's actually quite shocking to say that we want to be in a union with you and we believe in this parliament, but we don't want you to work on issues such as international human rights. But when it comes to Brexit, it's okay. When it comes to Brexit, <laughs> you take the it's lead. absolutely fine. Whatever you want goes. Yeah. We will, you know, it, it, was, the, it was so, I dare say, Trumpian. Mm. It's almost quite Donald Trumpian. This, you know, count the votes that go for me and don't count those yeah. that go against me. So it was really, <laughs> so they were saying Westminster has no business in Northern Ireland affairs. And um, the answer to that was when it comes to human rights, we have absolute responsibility for human mm-hmm. rights in your jurisdiction. For example, can you imagine tomorrow that the Northern Ireland Assembly came up with, uh, passed a law saying no gays in the military? Mm-hmm. Highwood, yeah. Absolutely. That's a human rights issue. And Northern Ireland would not be allowed to do that. No. They're not allowed to, to make blatantly abusive human rights laws. And however, 
Now, I have to acknowledge there are people out there listening to this who may not agree with the topic itself. They may think that there are other human rights involved in the abortion debate. Mm -hmm. And if they are activist lawyers in themselves, they have every right to argue that. Absolutely. But what I would will give you now is a little sum up of the human rights issues here then. So there are people that say you haven't, you know, the UK government has not considered the, the rights of the fetus, mm-hmm. the right to, of, to life of the unborn. And what I will say is the human... The UK signed up to the European Convention on Human Rights. And there is a long history of that court Mm -hmm. making decisions about whether the right to life extends to what they would call the unborn. Mm -hmm. And there has never been a a definition, there's never been an acceptance of that. Yeah. Even in a case, uh, it was called Vaux v. France, where a doctor negligently performed an abortion on the wrong woman in the waiting room, she could not have, she did not pass the human rights test for her, as she called, unborn child to have rights. The right to life does not extend to you until you're born. Mm -hmm. And that is consistent. So what I'm not saying, I'm not saying those rights have not been considered. They have been considered by the court. But the court has never given, the European Court of Human Rights has never given the right to life to any citizen before they're born. Mm -hmm. This podcast is sponsored by Granite Exchange. Do you need an office or a meeting room space? Granite Exchange is the ultimate serviced office and meeting room facility. Located in the heart of Newry City, it is perfectly placed between Belfast and Dublin. Each office suite is fully furnished and comes with an all-inclusive monthly fee with no long-term contract. All you have to do is show up and switch on. The rest is taken care of. For more information, call 028 3044 2500 or visit www.granite-exchange.com. So where we are now is that up until this point, we have agreed to sign up to this convention. We have agreed to allow this court to do interpret those rights yes and they have interpreted the article 8 right to private and family life as requiring the state not to intervene so Stella Creasy's amendment back to that Mm -hmm. basically it said you're under a duty to reform this law yeah the Stormont Assembly was not running since the end of 2017 well started 2018 and the the actual part of the legislation that Stella Creasy was involved in gave the Northern Ireland Assembly until the 21st of October 2019 to get back to work Mm -hmm. to address this itself but at the stroke of midnight if they had not done so this law was coming into force and the law Mm -hmm. that I'm talking about is the one that reformed the ban Uh took away the criminalisation of women and introduced new regulation, introduced the possibility of new regulations mm-hmm. and the regulations which we'll talk about so after. legalisation. But Eileen, there were attempts to block this. Yes, that, there you know. was an attempt. Now, when, when I say an attempt, Sarah, mm-hmm. it was a theatrical attempt. And this is why I'm speaking about the topic. 
because we've seen a lot of theatrical attempts in the last three weeks in the US election. We have. And what I mean by that is an attempt that has no basis in law, no basis in an ability to change the law, mm-hmm. but is very media, is re- done for the purposes of gathering support amongst people and to bring media attention. Now, on the 20, on it was the day before the deadline, mm-hmm. several parties defining themselves as pro-life turned up at Stormont and talked about this new bill which Stormont was going to pass in opposition to the law that was about to come in at midnight, reforming abortion law, and it was called Defence of the Unborn. Now, the Assembly works according to established procedures that we've all signed up to and we all agree to and we all depend upon. But like elections. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when you are voting in an election, you're, you're, you're accepting a certain procedure. I accept that things happen a certain way, whether it goes for me or against me. The Assembly works in that way. Those who turned up at the Assembly on that day proclaiming that they were going to pass another law for Northern Ireland to protect the fetus had not done any work to fulfil the procedures to elect a Speaker. Right, so it was bluster. There was nothing they could physically do in law, but they did get a lot of media attention. They did, I remember And they well. misled they the public. Quite, this is a bit like yeah. Donald Trump misleading the public, making them think that there's still a possibility for him to be president. Misleading the public, thinking, we can change this, we can change it. No, you can't. You had yeah. three years to change it. You voted against it when you had the opportunity. Uh-huh. You voted down more limited reforms than the ones that are coming in at midnight you had the chance. And if you were serious, you would have ele- you would have sorted out your differences, elected a speaker, yeah. and got back in there and made your own laws. Turning up, you know, as the, as the clock ticks down to midnight with no actual procedure in place to do it was misleading the public. Yeah, and that's absolutely. one of the reasons I'm passionate about this yeah. debate. So, And that's pretty recent. So that was last year. Yes. So where are we now, Eileen, okay. with that? I so mean, that in practice. In practice, decriminalisation happened on that day. Right. The 1861 Act, Offences Against the Person Act, the sections banning abortion in Northern Ireland were removed. For Northern Ireland only, they still exist in England, and that's another anomaly. (laughs) That's quite anomalous. But for Northern Ireland only, they were, were, so the first thing that happened was they were removed. Right. The next thing that happened was existing prosecutions against a mother for trying to get pills for her daughter online, that prosecution was dropped. The next thing that happened was a set of regulations were brought in mm-hmm. after a consultation. There was a it was a short consultation in Northern Ireland and the consultation was about how to implement CEDAW, not whether to. So how to implement the CEDAW that I talked about earlier. Yes. Not not whether, whether we, we should. should. Yeah. But a lot of the, the, the um, responses were generic and they were written by churches and handed out in, 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 in church halls, hallways, doorways. And they did not answer the question asked. So a lot of them said this shouldn't be happening when it was already happening legally. So what we've got now are the Abortion Northern Ireland Regulations 2020 came into effect 31st of March They said, access to abortion up to 12 weeks is permitted on request. 
So similar to the Republic of Ireland. Ireland yes. 12 weeks upon request. This is something which in 2018 Sinn Féin changed its policy to allow. That's right. And that, that that's an example of that. After 12 weeks, abortion is permitted up to 24 weeks gestation, same as England and Wales and Scotland, where the continuance of the pregnancy involved a risk greater to the physical or mental health of the woman than if the pregnancy were terminated. So similar again to the Abortion Act in Great Britain. Beyond that, terminations to save the life of the woman or to prevent grave permanent injury are permitted with no gestational limit, as are those in the cases of severe fetal impairment or fatal fetal abnormality. So, a new, more liberal abortion law. Mm-hmm. However. Yes. How has it been however, practice? However. I predicted this when I was writing a blog about it in February. <laughs> um, those regulations give power to the Northern Ireland Minister of Health, who is Robin Swan, mm-hmm. UUP, to commission abortion services because they must be conducted on health and social care trust premises. And he's responsible for the delivery of health services in Northern Ireland. We've seen an awful lot of them because of the pandemic. That's right. I predicted that he would not automatically work to provide these services. So not he wouldn't commission. He wouldn't deliver. actively yeah. commission mm-hmm. to deliver services. Now, I predicted that, but I didn't predict the pandemic. No. <laughs> the pandemic coincided one week before the pandemic, one week earlier, sorry, one week before the legal the, the regulations came into force, Boris Johnson locked us all down, told us to stay at home. One week. So, even though abortions became illegal in Northern Ireland on the 31st of March, women were issued with a, a phone number saying, organise your termination in England. We don't have any abortion services in Northern Ireland. And that happened... On one week after we were told to stay at home, we were told to not go near our health services. We were not told not to go to our doctors, not to go to A&E unless we were dying. And there were reports of women, two women suicide attempts. Oh, gosh. Because they could not get travelling to Britain. travel. Yes. So, So, first of all, Robin Swan was very busy. In his defence, he was very busy with the pandemic. But he did not take on his role. That's the first thing. He did not engage with this role. Mm -hmm. It is arguable, had there been a minister for health from a different party who was more accepting of the changes that had come in, that they would have used their power to commission services. Right. What he has done, and this is the most... This is the most misleading thing, and this is why I'm speaking today, because I my, my, have a passion to inform people correctly with the correct information. He has said he needed executive approval, i.e. he needed all the other ministers and the executive to agree. Nowhere in the regulations does it say mm-hmm. that. The Department of Health has also now said, it's not our responsibility to commission these services. And we need a public consultation on commissioning these services. Nowhere 
in the regulations or in the Act which gave rise to the regulations or in the report of CEDAW which gave rise to the Act which gave rise to the regulations, does this exist? So here is a minister from a party that does not have a pro-choice position actively, or no, let's say passively, passively in one sense, not fulfilling what's expected of him by the law, and then actively misleading the public as to think they have another say into where abortions would take place. There are so it's two completely, completely contradictory. Yeah. I'll tell you why it's contradictory, because there was two statements by the Department of Health, and one said it's not our job. It's not our responsibility mm-hmm. to commission abortion services. And in the other paragraph it said, but abortion services can only be, can, can only be carried out on our premises. So if it's not your role... Yeah. And they can only be done on your premises. What, what are you saying? Yeah. And this is in direct contravention of all of the recommendations. Yes. yes. I mean, surely, Eileen, there's going to be more case law. Around there's this. got to there be. There has to be. I'll tell you why. In 2006, the European Co- Court of Human Rights, that one that we're still signed up to because it has nothing to do with the uni- European Union or has nothing to do with Brexit. Let that be noted. Let that be noted again. In 2006, there was a case which said that it is a breach of women's Article 8 human rights to prevent the access and availability to abortions in countries where there are legal. So if you have legal abortion, to then go about making it inaccessible Mm. through lack of provision, you're still breaching human rights. So there will be another case because at the minute there's no impetus on Robin Swan uh, to do his job. Now, the job has been done by others, if if I can go into that. Yes, of course. The organisations that got involved, even in the CEDAW inquiry, have been active okay. in getting sexual and reproductive health clinics to offer abortions up till 10 weeks. Now, those are the clinics where people would go for tests, for example. Uh, GUM clinics, they okay. used to call them. They're now called SRH clinics. So those those clinics throughout Northern Ireland have of their own volition, of their own volition, not required, not asked to do this by Robin Swan, mm-hmm. of their own volition, they have started offering early medical abortions. And what that means is abortions by using two sets of pills. Okay. And those have been available in those clinics during the pandemic. But surgical procedures no were surgical not pr- none. provided none. throughout so Northern Ireland. You ca- those EMA, I'm just going to call them EMA from now on, uh, also known as the abortion pill, is available up to 10 weeks. Okay. And you... Now, there's, there's one issue. There is no public information about that. The Department of Health mm. has, not, has not... I mean, I know this because I do research in the area. Yeah. Because I, wor- I, I talk to the task force. I do the research. Um, you will also find information on it on a website called Informing Choices NI, mm-hmm. which was the new name for the Family Plan Association of Northern Ireland. So the five trusts were offering these in their clinics, their sexual and reproductive health clinics, until the Northern Trust became overwhelmed in October. Okay. And the Northern Trust had to say, unfortunately, we can no longer provide early medical abortion up to 10 weeks because we've got we've got no space mm-hmm. we've got no room we we can't do it so they are available in the other four trusts however people don't know that 
widely. It's not widely. Mm-hmm. It's there's no there's been no public information campaign about that. There's nothing. And um, still, if people don't know that, they will turn to the internet potentially to yeah. get. So so for a lot of people, so the only the only people for for whom anything has changed is those who find out about that and are under 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. If you're o- between 10 and 12 weeks, there's still a possibility of having that done with, with, with medical help at the clinic. Okay. But the activists involved in this wanted what happened in the UK and in the Republic of Ireland. They wanted what they called telemedicine, mm-hmm. which is for the pills to be issued to your home for the consultation to be done online or by telephone. I mean, I haven't seen a doctor since March. Yeah. Uh, for any reason, a lot of people are engaging with their doctors over the phone and they don't go to the clinic. You're told not to go to your clinic. Yeah. You're told to ring your doctor. So um, what the activists wanted, Alliance for Choice being the, the, Lead. the, the leading yeah. organisation, they have argued for telemedicine, which is for women to be able to ring up to get the pills sent down to them and take them in the comfort of their own home and not have to attend a clinic at all. Mm-hmm. Now, that was allowed in England, Scotland and Wales and I believe in the Republic of Ireland. Uh-huh. The only place in the British Isles where that's not happening during the pandemic is Northern Ireland. Right. And if the, I suppose the only question is, what are the reasons for that? Well, the legislation says the it must be done on 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 trust facilities in NHS grounds if safety is not the reason what is what is the reason yeah you know and if it's safe enough to do in Wales Scotland England why not here and again there's this imagery in Northern Ireland of having to overcome hurdles and obstacles Mm -hmm. and that's still there Sarah that's still there regardless of the reforms Mm -hmm. Um, there was a story of one woman who was taking an 8 hour ferry to Liverpool from Belfast during the pandemic and you have to go to the clinic in Britain on two separate occasions and there was no accommodation available there was no hotels there was no B&Bs so whether you agree with this area of law or not, whether you agree with the liberalisation of abortion law, what you need to take away from this talk is, even when the law is changed and written on paper, in some circumstances you cannot depend upon that. Yeah, You can't can't. depend upon what's written in front of you. And if that was in any other area of law or life, for example, education, Mm-hmm. If that was in the area of education and a minister refused to provide services. So, you know, technically the state's not stopping you from getting an education, yeah. but we're not going to build a school. No. And we're not going to give any money towards sc- any uh, schools or any initiatives. So have an education all you want, but don't expect us to give you a school. In law it's there, but it's not accessible. I, t- yeah. I think what it shows is a bigger problem with what human rights mean in their legal conceptualization yeah human rights that evolved after second world war were civil and political rights and they were very negative in nature Mm -hmm. what they meant was we the state cannot prevent you from doing x y and z the state should not prevent you you have freedom from 
freedom from does not mean access to. Mm-hmm. You it's know, a different I have the freedom to buy a mansion tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We all have. Yeah. They say that the rich as well as the poor have the right to sleep under bridges. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 about human rights are very much about freedom of association, freedom of expression, freedom of this, freedom of that. When it comes to reproductive rights, you need services. Yeah. When it comes to health and education, you need services, you need funding. And human rights and their in their original conception of negative freedoms from do not mm-hmm. a- actually provide for that. Yeah. So Despite the big human rights challenges and CEDAW and Sarah Ewart's case, mm-hmm. no one would be getting any abortions in Northern Ireland if it were not for activists, yeah. activist doctors, activists, clinici- clinicians, nurses in those clinics who have of their own volition added to their workload and saying, we'll do this. Yeah. And they are making this reform real mm-hmm. but they can only do it they up to do so much well they can't i mean well. they can only do it up to 10 weeks because it involves yeah. handing out pills beyond that there's no services but that's not satisfactory well if you were sorry you were today you'd still have to go to yeah, britain exactly so it's not satisfactory and i mean it's just um deeply disappointing on all levels to talk about you know the the couple of years there where we saw massive change huge mm-hmm. momentum you know maybe on the back of um, what happened in the Republic of Ireland that momentum carried forward somewhat I know yeah. it was in completely different circumstances yes. um, and we had um, the involvement of Westminster there that you mentioned mm-hmm. but to get to that point and I know the pandemic you know bad timing in, in every respect it's bad timing mm. but particularly there when it came at that kind of crux when you know the law had reformed essentially but it's so disappointing even on a political level not to see anybody really and I mean you might be aware Eileen of people who are ac- actively I know of a few names maybe um, kind of more fringe parties mm. that are still very active um, around this issue and not letting it drop Oh, so, um, Claire Bailey of the Green Party yes. would not let this drop in a, in, a, in a million years yeah no so way. I mean that that's an example of a very you know obvious pro-choice party, but uh-huh. Sinn Fein reformed their position. Mm-hmm. I wrote a very interesting article about that before they reformed their position, but then they did reform their position um, because they couldn't have a different law north and south. They had no. to have they have to have consistent policy yeah, north yeah. and south. But there are um, there is an argument that if Alliance, for example, had got the Ministry for Health, they yeah. would have done something. It would have with been this. a different story. Yes, or if Sinn Fein had got it, they yeah. would have done a different story. But you can't predict that. No, you can't. Um, and you have, I mean, activists like Goretti, Horgan, and a lot of the BPP. You know what I mean? Really, yes. still putting this out there. Well, the the BPAS, the British Pregnancy Association started in the pandemic to email p- pills out to women in Northern Ireland because they say, and that would they would have not that would come under an emergency situation under the the new regulations mm-hmm. because from the day um from the day they came into force there was no on day one there was no no services yes. and you were told not to travel and there were no flight there were flights mm-hmm. were like 600 pound because mm-hmm. there were so very few flights to britain so mm-hmm. they started it the, to actually provide pills to women in northern ireland um so I say in a in the big picture, this particular strategy with these organisations from the Family Planning Association in two thousand and one to Alliance for Choice, and they've been doing this for quite a long uh-huh. time now, as well over 12, 15 years. I've been seeing that. 
there's been so much activism, there's been so much pressure, there's been so many cases, and yet still, on the ground, the reality is things are similar to what they were. The yeah. biggest change is you cannot, can no longer be sent to prison for life. So the criminal... For having a termination in Northern Ireland illegally. And there is now one thing. There is still an offence for any medic that goes against the regulations and and does their own thing. Mm -hmm. But that really only applies where there's conditions and that's after the 12 weeks. But that was, again, there's still a wee bit of criminal Mm -hmm. activity in there which was not meant to be there because CEDAW recommended removing all criminal sanctions from this area. Mm -hmm. The background to this, Sarah, is, and it's really important for the listeners, in no country in the world where abortion is illegal does it stop women or pregnant people attempting to have abortions when they feel they have no other option Option. in their lives. If the law preventing abortions worked... I could see into it. Mm-hmm. I understand that people have those views. Yeah. But abortion laws that prohibit abortions only drive abortions underground and criminalise people. And potentially in some countries, now those pills issued by the BPAS and women on the web are safe. Absolutely yeah. safe. I'm not saying that. But in, in the past... But prohibitions on abortions don't stop abortions. They ju- they, they just create health and in problems. An they create unsafe yeah. health problems. I mean, they, if they if they change the problem, I could mm. see. Aye. But that's the point. I mean, it it doesn't stop what you're trying to stop. Can only be stopped by adequate sex education, mm-hmm. adequate free and easy access to contraception and information yeah. about preventing unwanted pregnancies. That's how you stop. Yeah, you do uh, really heavy abortion laws. D- Which don't beggars belief that that still isn't in place. And I mean, it's there as a recommendation. You you noted it there as yes. part of the CEDAW recommendation. Yes. I remember in in the Republic of Ireland that was very much fed into the discussion. It always has around abortion. Well, you know, as an alternative or not an alternative, but to kind of you bring it in line, bring it into mm-hmm. the education mm-hmm. um, system to educate young people. It, it they never they didn't want to touch it. No, and. The same here. I mean, it'll be a long time, I would imagine, Uh before that gets brought on. But it makes sense. But it seems to be that the start of our conversation, people not wanting to talk about it and to turn a blind eye. And as you say, well, I was a human rights matter. I was basically forced into this topic against my will. You're not alone. (laughs) Against my will. I come from a similar background to you. And it was only when I went off to college and I started hearing about cases and I thought, my goodness, I I really wasn't aware. And I became involved with the work with the National Women's Council of Ireland. And even then I had my eyes opened to so much. But it's a process and a journey that we've been brought on. Yes. Um, and many people have as well and just on that basis we've spoken about the law the recommendations Mm -hmm. the position we're in now which is disappointing frankly Mm -hmm. in Northern Ireland but just in terms of public perception Eileen and maybe what happened a couple of years ago in the Republic of Mm -hmm. Ireland is there a wave is there are people starting to come out and talk about it because we were two very different positions in the republic we had all of the conversations they had focus groups they had round table discussions about it i remember meeting with people who mm. had a certain opinion and a few weeks later they were brought around and their opinion changed because they met with people who had you know personal lived experiences and mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, we never had that opportunity 
in well, Northern Ireland. I was involved and for a few years from 2010 to 13 in an education project throughout Northern Ireland for Alliance for Choice, mm-hmm. educating women on their human rights more generally. Mm-hmm. And on this aspect of them. Okay. Uh, but that was a project that I was involved in. Again, that, that um, I think they're still continuing it, but I, a short period I was involved in. So that started 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think there's an urban-rural split. Right. And this is the, my second conversation on this topic in Newry. Mm-hmm. And I've lived here <laughs> for quite a while. I've done a lot of this work in Belfast. There's a lot of this work in Belfast in our area. I'm very glad to be talking about it in this yeah. area because this is, uh, Newry is a city, but there's, there's a surrounding rural community. And it's, again, I can't blame those people for experiencing this as a taboo when that's where I was before I started to learn about it because I had done four years of a law degree and I still didn't want to talk about it. So I don't blame people for for not, for wanting to stay away from it. I actually had a conversation with my nephew last week and I said to him, I really want you to watch a documentary on ITV called America's War on Abortion Mm -hmm. to see where I'm coming from. Yes. And there is... There are scenes in that documentary that I really would love people to watch. Mm-hmm. They are quite disturbing scenes. They are people standing outside abortion clinics in America wearing red Make America Great Again hats. Calling women going into the clinics the most vile names, mm-hmm. the most vile names, and harassing the staff. Yeah. And these are big clinics where people are going in for lots of different, different reasons. reasons. Yeah, there's people going in for going there's in people for. going in for their twelve week scans. Yeah. There's people going in for their twenty week scans. How traumatizing for anybody, no yeah. matter what you're going in I for. I challenge you, anybody who's listening, to go to the ITV player and look up America's war, war on abortion and watch it. Mm-hmm. And then come back to us. Yeah. And say, do you not think something needs to be this conversation needs to be had. It needs to be had. It started, you know? I think. Yeah. And it started here, Eileen. And you're right. I mean, you can feel a little bit isolated at times because yes. you're, it's not something that you can just yeah. bring up and talk to. And yeah. people have their own very personal yeah. views and we're respectful of yeah. that as well. Yeah. But I mean, something has to be done. And the fact that here, I mean, I think what listeners should take away with today is Eileen's gone through the legal changes and the reforms. Mm. The law has changed. The law here, has changed. But nothing has changed on the ground well, in that sense. the one thing that has changed is that you will not be prosecuted well, if you yeah. buy pills online from Which those. Which is quite significant. And also, you can go to your sexual reproductive health clinic in your local area and request early medical abortion up to 10 weeks. Yeah. And if you need more information about any of these issues, Informing Choices NI website will lead you to the right place. Fantastic. But really, again, it's a very interesting topic to see how you depend upon the laws that you are able to look up to work. Mm -hmm. 
And if that was in any other area, you, you wouldn't be happy that they no. didn't work. So this is just another example. Another area, another example. But Eileen, look, it's been just fantastic. That's such a wealth of information, um, you know, for anybody to get their heads around. But we will stay in touch with you because you. I am sure over the next few months, your work will lead you down different paths as well. Mm-hmm. And I suppose this will continue. I mean, mm-hmm. it won't stop. And as you say, activists are still continuing on the ground to push mm-hmm. for this matter and it won't go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and people should really um, be able to access their rights that are now laid down by law. Absolutely. So thank you so much for coming in and sharing that with us. We look forward to having you in again. It's been fantastic. Thank you very much, Sarah. So thank you listeners today um, for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, My name's Sarah Henry and it's been The Activist Lawyer. You can check us out on um, www.activistlawyer.com where we will be publishing some blogs and some um, written pieces as well. And if you have any questions or want to find out how to get involved, um, contact us through our social media pages as well thank you for tuning in bye this podcast was recorded in granite podcast studio interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how granite podcast studio can help record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio which is based in the heart of newry city our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.